Uh-oh, man. It was a week where Toronto FC were outplayed, outpressed, outcoached, and looked out of ideas at times, leaving us with plenty of questions about the club at this admittedly early stage of the season. This is Wake in the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talk. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and head on the show, we'll talk about the slow start to the year, more moves potentially on the way, um, getting healthy, and plenty, plenty more. Brendan Dunlop is our guest this week. He'll stop by to talk about his new book, Hero, My Life, and with Canadian soccer legend Dwayne Rosario about his life and career. But first, boys, big game today for the lads. I touched the wrong side of my chest. I'm not used to the mirroring screen here, but uh, <laughs> not the Adidas part. But, uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. I mean, it's not not as big for, for your guys, Michael. You maybe let us have this one, but I would do another one. <laughs> boys, I did it. I did it this morning. I went and did the damn thing. I got nice. the job, boys. Nice. I got vaccinated. And for any of you guys out there that, that's wondering, super easy. Um, you didn't really even feel it in the process. No, not at all. It was, yeah. was super smooth. So if you guys haven't been vaccinated yet, I highly recommend you go out there and do that. Um, and, you know, that's kind of a positive spin on, on the week that's been so far for Toronto FC. That, that's my positive takeaway. So <laughs> that, you, that you got vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, enough, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we're, we're starting to get to a good stage here. Um, we're all starting to get vaccinated. So let's just stay smart for another month or two while, while you know, we let the vaccines catch up with, with the virus. And, uh, yeah, hopefully here's to a great summer for all of us and hopefully a great summer for Toronto FC as well because the spring has not not really been ideal I mean what they've played seven games so far only one win uh, they've conceded in all seven and that was the case again this week losing to the New York Red Bulls as well as losing 4-1 on aggregate 1-0 in the match to Cruz Azul um, I guess your guys general thoughts on a tough week for Toronto FC again one where they're still not fully healthy still not back to to the squad we were hoping to see when they're when they're all the way there but uh, still at least a couple of concerns i think coming out of this week a couple a couple <laughs> mitch um mike's yeah, written I mean, like 12 articles on each <laughs> on each factor of, of yeah. what what's bothering us presently so i wish i wish i could encompass it all man there's just not enough words right now um <laughs> obviously let's preface this by saying that the tfc were missing some crucial players there on saturday Especially, you know, Pozuelo, Jonathan Osorio, Josie Altidore. That being said, you look at the lineup that was that was put out there, at least on paper, and for me, that that's a result that you know you could have gotten, or at least you know played a little bit better. Um, it's not a bad lineup that Chris Armas put out there by any means. Those are players in the past that you know, and that they've they've been able to you know do something when they're on the field. For whatever reason, I mean, the Red Bulls definitely got the better of Chris Armas's, you know, game plan, whatever it was. Um, and, you know, they've got the better of Toronto FC's players who, you know, quite frankly, just weren't in it, weren't up for the battle on Saturday. So, you know, there's not much to really take away from that game. And just it was one of the worst games, you know, thinking back. Let's think back to last season. Last season, there were maybe four games off the top of my head that were really, really poor for Toronto FC. You think back to that Philadelphia Union game? Yep. <laughs> no, that's number one. <laughs> Absolutely. Nashville playoffs. Yeah. Absolutely mm-hmm. awful. Nashville playoffs. Mm-hmm. There was a game against Vancouver during that Canadian, all-Canadian classic or whatever you guys want to call it for the Canadian championship. And then Indeed. there was... MLS is back. MLS yeah, is back, yeah. New York City FC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but aside from that Philadelphia Union game... That was the worst that I've seen Toronto FC play in the last 12 months. And you can even go back to all the way back to the summer of 2019. That was the I worst be- that, that I've seen them play beside that Philadelphia game. So mm-hmm. there is reason for concern there because like, like we started off the, t- the bat of the show, there's a lot of issues going on with this team. And right now, solutions 
seem like they're very bleak, like the odds of them coming through. It doesn't seem like it's it's there um, with the group that's in front of them, at least. So what we're hoping for right now is the return of Alejandro Pozuelo. And I know a lot of people are like, well, it's just one player. Like That shouldn't make that much of a difference. He's the MVP for a reason. He's the most mm-hmm. valuable player to Toronto FC, to the most valuable player to a team. He makes a team that much better than most out of anybody in the league. So yes, Alejandro Pozuelo does make the world of a difference, especially when he's one of the few players that can play that number 10 role, which I think was a major problem on Saturday. So, you know, it, again, this, this team has, on paper, one of the best teams in all of MLS. It's a team that I believe will turn it around. But what we've seen so far from this Toronto FC team has just not been good enough from so many different aspects. So I'm hoping, you know, tomorrow night against Columbus SC, Columbus Crew, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> that this team, you know, puts in a performance because we're reaching a point where, where you know, these results, they, they got to start, start showing some desperation. These results are going to pile up. They are going to matter. So mm-hmm. if we don't see a desperate Toronto FC side on Wednesday, you know, you got to ask questions about whether or not Chris Armis is getting the best out of his players. If he's doing his job to motivate his players, are the players doing their job to sort of, you know, help Chris Armis out and do their job on the pitch? You know, at a certain point, a coach can only do so much. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I can, I can go on a rant about days, but Jeff, let's hear, let's hear what you have to say. <laughs> I can go on a rant for days, but let's get Jeff talking. This is so dangerous because my default setting when things start going even a little bit egg sh- or pear shape for TFC is to turn Gallo's humor up to 11. And I really, I really, really felt like I, uh, I was a reactionary hot take machine on our post game show. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it doesn't behoove me to start uh, throwing out elbows, uh, despite the fact that it, it seems to be my, uh, my my default setting. I agree. I agree with everything you're saying. Um, you know, I I think there's a lot of uh, catastrophizing going on in the TFC live community, both on WTR and in the wider social media landscape. I think people are writing Armis off uh, already, um, and I don't I don't necessarily think that that's the way to go. But he's not covering himself in glory right now. So. You know the the reality is somewhere in the middle. I I think there's a lot riding on this on this game tomorrow, much more than just taking on the 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 uh, defending MLS Cup champion. Uh, I wonder if they're going to have time to get new uniforms, or if they're just going to have duct tape on the badge with like a reasonable <laughs> hand drawn facsimile. Those conk account patches that always peel off. <laughs> That's so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. yeah, yeah. You you make a good point there. Like let's let's not get carried away with this. Way too early for any sort of Armis out talk. That's really unfair. Um, I think you know any coach coming into a new environment, they're going to have some sort of growing pains, especially when you when you want to instill a completely like different type of system so that's kind of expected what i'm saying in terms of that columbus match is even if they don't go out there and get the result there's got to be some will from this toronto fc team there's got to be some more fight in them there's got to be it it looks like the players uh, at least on saturday it looks like they gave up halfway through that game and that was the debut of of jefferson Soteldo. soteldo right that was that was supposed to be their their spark and it looked anything but it looked like Soteldo was the only one out there that was trying to sort of, you know, make something happen. And everyone else was kind of just settled on giving him the ball and watching. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, like, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Well, it's almost like we've changed places over the last two weeks. I've been rallying about stuff that I really had no business excluding COVID from. Right. And now I feel, and now I feel the temptation to consistently reintroduce the facets of of the struggle, right? Like, you know, we haven't played a home game in the same stadium twice. Um, you know, injuries have to be compounded by by the by the weirdo um, uh, training regimen, if you can even call it a regimen, because we were totally under the you know we were totally under the knife of when we could fit training in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's weird that I that I'm kind of falling back on that now. The thing that keeps tickling the gallows humor part of my brain is, you know, we knew all this coming into the season. So was it maybe the right idea to bring in a guy that's going to change everything and demand that kind of, of, of physicality? I mean, there may not be a, a right proper time at any time and nobody, nobody knows the future, but looking at it now at the, you know, where we are in the season, you have to at least have to wonder it, it's, you know, that little doubt that's creeping into my head. Like, 
you know, did, couldn't we have seen this coming, right? Like, you know, it's not like we're, it's not like these injuries are surprised. So it just seems like, you know, doubling down on, on Lady Luck or the soccer gods to, to, to try and do this in this specific timeline. And that, yeah. that, that's got, that gives me pause. Yeah. Let's, let's even put the injuries aside for a second. Like, I wish like we I, could. Like I, I, like, could. I, like, I said, <laughs> like I said, off the top, you know, off mm. the bat there, Jeff, mm-hmm. on paper, that team that Armas put out there yesterday, I see no reason why they can't go out there and at least, you know, put up a fight to draw that game, put up a fight to, you know, get some result in that game. It's a talented team on paper. Albeit, yeah, they were missing a number 10, but you can't just be settled on sticking to that one same structure, right? You got to be willing to adjust then if you don't have the, the right tools there. Because again, these are players who are very capable players in Major League Soccer, and they didn't look like it on, on Saturday. They look mm-hmm. like a team that couldn't string together three, four, five passes, which, I mean, yes, we want to play on the counter press. We want to play direct. We want to get at teams. But at the end of the day, like you got to be able to play some sort of footy, some sort of soccer, which has been this mm-hmm. team's identity the past, you know, before Armis, before like the last five years. So they, we know they can do it. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, like I get they're trying to bind to their coach's vision, but there's got to be some balance there. And it just, yep. for me, it wasn't there yet. Can Two I bring up what, I want to what... make? First, just is... quickly, okay, can I bring yeah. up what Gav Cavan's comment? And it was uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. His first uh, few seasons at Man U weren't great. You have to trust in the complete rebuild, different way of training, different day to day runnings. You have to allow time for changes. And and Ryan also wrote at the outset, you know how how much this uh, transition. I I don't like rebuild because there's a lot of roster continuity and rebuild sort of implies that 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 doesn't exist. So I, I prefer to call it a transition, but Ryan said the same thing. He said, this reminds me a lot of Liverpool when Klopp first came in. And mm-hmm. you, I remember, you know, fans on both. I mean, they, I, when, when Alex came in, we didn't have social media. So it was, you know, the man you fanzine that was screaming, you know, mur- bloody murder. But uh, I do remember the response to Klopp from, from the Liverpool fans. And they were like, get this guy out of here. What is he doing to our team? Um, so it's not a surprise what's happening here in TFC land. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt Mitch. I just, I was trying to jam that in there. No worries. I mean, I wasn't sure what to expect on today's show. I did not expect Chris Armas to get compared to Sir Alex Ferguson. That's certainly not, <laughs> <laughs> not something that I thought was in the cards, but here we are. Um, I think the Pozuelo thing is a good point because in terms of comparison, we've never, we didn't see this club without Pozuelo last year. He was there for every single game. That's part of why he won the MVP. So we don't know what this team looks like without Pozuelo. And the past couple of games, I mean, I actually think Toronto started okay, even against the Red Bulls. I know yeah. um, obviously it it you know very quickly went south, but in both of those games they've started well. They've they've looked on the front foot, but then both times, like it became very clear that one once they won that ball back in the advanced positions, like they didn't have the guys to to make it tick to make those chances. And the second you're an opponent, you see that, and it's like, okay, if we do give the ball away, like, what's the They're risk? They're hopeless. Then yeah, have, yeah, exactly. You have the confidence to go forward, and again, once once Toronto FC's gotten that first goal against, they've just their system falls apart because the other team's just not worried in the same way about you know what Toronto FC might do. So again, I think it's so important that they get those offensive technicians back, and we know they have a couple of them in the team, but um, obviously, right now, you know. It, it's not ideal when Pozuelo and Osorio and, you know, Altidore to some extent and Io hasn't quite looked a hundred percent, although he's looked at least decent. Um, yeah, that's, that, that'd be my main point on, on those two games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are, I mean, you're bang on there, Mitch. Like even Armis himself in the post game press, right? He said it, like the game was sort of in the balance there in the first half. Um, for me personally, like, yes, TFC did show a bit of fight uh, there in the first half, but <laughs> Like that's still not good enough for me against a team like the New York Red Bulls. This team should be outplaying the New York Red Bulls, hands down. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want the game to be there in the balance. I yep. want, I want TFC to take that game, especially against you know New York Red Bulls are playing very well right now. It's a place that TFC have not found much success in the past. So let me preface that by saying that. I still expect TFC to go out there and you know outplay the opposition. Look at the games against the New York Red Bulls last season, where mm-hmm. TFC played them. And by by and large, TFC outplayed the Red Bulls last season. It was it was a Caden Clark, you know, 
spectacular strike that tied the game late in that match for, for New York Red Bulls when they were, you know, virtually outplayed. Again, this is a side without Alejandro Pozuelo. I, I talked about how much he means to this team. It's just, it's disappointing to see that, like, it's not even close to the level it is when we, we know that Alejandro Pozuelo can be in this side. There's just a big drop-off that just isn't acceptable. And, you know, let's give Armas time as well to, to kind of fix that problem because bad games do happen. Um, it's just we haven't seen the best of this TFC team yet, in my opinion. What are you talking about? Remember Leon? It was amazing. Remember that game against Leon? <laughs> it was amazing for the parts that were there. Yeah. The side that they put out, the result that they earned, it was amazing. In terms of TFC being at their best through seven games, we just haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, it seems like Absolutely. Brendan is here, so maybe we'll get his thoughts on, on how all things Toronto FC are going right now. Um, we'll bring him on whenever he's ready. Now joined by the author of D-Row My Life. Mr. Brendan Dunlop, how you doing? What's up, guys? I'm good. How are you? What's going oh on, man? Thanks What's for doing this. Well? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I even had my internet reset, like, literally months ago. <laughs> I was on the phone with the provider. It was, we do the uh, Footy Prime podcast, James Sharman, Danny Dicchio, Chris and Jack and I. Uh, excuse me. Uh, not uh, Chris and Jack, Craig Forrest. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, st- I'm still in the score days. Uh, we, we do that. We do that quite often, actually. I did a, I did a show with Martin once on, on Sports and Central, and she... Uh, she turned to the the score studios and i went are you serious mm-hmm. like that was 15 years ago and i never <laughs> even worked at the score with you and it was just it's funny how the mind works that way so anyway i want that microphone crazy. man that microphone yeah. is like smooth jazz ridiculousness i it's love good. it i lo- it's it's pretty fantastic i well your dulcet tones the- are Thank you, buddy. The voice and yeah. the hair are, uh, you know, two of the few things I got going for me. So I got to max. Let's go. The hair looks on point. You and Mitch, between you and Mitch, I don't know, man. There's some competition there. It's pandemic, too, and you still got it going. Yeah, and you trimmed your beard. So now I think my beard's longer than yours, and I was expecting you to blow me out of the water. So weird, no, but I, should, weird, I should be coaching either the Serie A or the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with this hair. <laughs> <laughs> little Patrick Waugh there, I like it. <laughs> fabulous, <laughs> trying to, fabulous. Trying to make the all-hockey hair team. Um, yeah. before, we, before we get into the book, let's talk a, a little bit about Toronto FC here. Um, three games in, obviously, into the MLS season. The, the atmosphere around TFC, not exactly positive right now. Um, how worried do you think the, the club should be about this, this slow start? I mean, I think, to be honest, I think the club expected it. You look at the attitude hmm. shift that had happened. Uh, you know, over the last couple of years where they, you know, committed this summer to backing the young kids and you're always going to have growing pains with that. And I think that they have a very good crop to grow with. It's worth going through those pains for um, certainly the potential that we see in quite a few guys that are starting to finally get meaningful minutes now. So, you know, I had to throw a new coach into the mix. Um, still a pandemic. You know, they're not playing at home. They're not living a, a normal routine. Uh, some of the, uh, There's a lot of new players now into the system and uh, these young guys who are experiencing professional life for the first time in a very unconventional way that's those are all factors so to be honest i, I mean I, I think that they thought defensively they might be a little solid in a, a few situations in a couple of matches but I, I think that they expected to experience some growing pains and um, that's what you're seeing now yeah on that sort of note brendan how much does this team miss alejandro pozuelo oh. how much a difference can he make man he's the engine he's the absolute engine you know i was very excited to see Sotelo come on for a few minutes and the acquisition of, of Jefferson Sotelo too, I feel as though, um, you know, he's a, he's a player that will very much complement Pozuelo, and they haven't yeah. truly truly had that as uh, as Josie Altador has declined and you know been unable to to be on the pitch and really contribute the way that he once did. Um, there's not really another player, you know, of that ilk that that could uh, that complements Alejandro mm. Pozuelo. So you have that in Sotelo now, and I think as the season goes on, and hopefully it doesn't take too long that you know he reaches. The, Piatti level chemistry uh, with Pozuelo, and then the sky's the limit for the two of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Man, as long as you speak in that voice through that microphone, everything sounds perfectly agreeable, and I am <laughs> I'm totally on team on team Dunlop. Um, so maybe I should get on the phone for Columbus Crew and talk to their supporters. The logo change is a good idea. Dude, dude, segue. This is my question. You just segued perfectly into my question. So, seeing as team names and rebrands are all the rage, it was cool to read. Uh, D Rose thoughts on 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 the naming and the badging of Toronto FC right from the get go. What did you think? Um, you know, because 
he was very he was like well of course our boys have to be in red and i was like but traditionally toronto teams play in blue and montreal teams play in red uh the canadian national team plays in red but but that's kind of arrogant torontonism to 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 encourage that um were you all in from the get-go or were you were you like why is it fc you know why can't we be the toronto towers or whatever (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't think I wanted a moniker like that, but I did feel as though FC was just so simple. I felt as though I forget some of the other names of the time. There was some, uh, you know, culturally influenced names. Was, mm-hmm. there, a, was there a Spartak or um, Spartak Toronto? <laughs> Real Toronto. I mean, it was, come on. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't Real, but there was something Eastern European. It's uh, yeah. I can't remember what it was. Um, I thought, well, that still seems, you know, rather isolated and in an homage to the past, Toronto, Croatia. You know, yeah, when, yeah. When the soccer ball, I get that. Um, but um, but I, I did think that maybe Toronto FC was a bit too simple. But I did love the crest, and I personally did love that they went with red because they were Canada's team. Canada, right. They were, you know, Canada's first team, and at that time, I mean, who knew if you know if there would be others? Um, and one of the things that I've been, you know, asked about lately is, you know, is MLS more popular because of Dwayne De Rosario? Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, I, and I do, you know, I think we have to ask, what, you know, would there be, there may not be three teams in Major League Soccer if, you know, you didn't have uh, the best player in the league, Canadian, lighting up and being the human highlight reel that he was. Um, I think that that absolutely convinced investors and convinced the league to, to expand north. Um, so hmm. you may have got them eventually, but, you know, the way expansion fees uh, have gone, if, if they didn't get in when they did, they may not have ever got in. Toronto swoops in. We were the first. We're claiming red for the whole nation. It's a very Toronto thing to do. So it's it's to point. Absolutely. All right. We are we are joined by Brendan Dunlop, who whose new book, um, your book on Dwayne De Rosario, an autobiography by Dwayne De Rosario, drops today. Dero, my life, and you guys can actually order go. that today. And Jeff kind of referred to a really interesting excerpt there from the book, where uh, Dwayne De Rosario talks about his reaction to seeing Toronto FC become established. Um, really. Really well written, Brendan. I couldn't even. I was, I was reading it up to the like the. the I, was, I was a little bit late to join the call, and people were wondering. I was. I was just stuck to that book, man, because I cannot put it down. So yeah, I, I burned through chapters that. nine to twelve. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, the Toronto um, FC chapters for those mm-hmm. who picked the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you know, let's let's talk a little bit about that book. How did that book manifest, and how much was written pre-pandemic, and what was that like? <laughs> Yeah, great question, and thank you again for the congratulations. Really good question, eh? <laughs> he wrote it himself. I had nothing to do with it. I actually took it from Jeff once again. That, that's our theme on this show, so that's why we're making that joke. But yeah, Brendan. Verbatim, verbatim. He took it verbatim. But <laughs> it was uh, writing in general, as, as all of you know, can be a, a real a marathon process, and a book even more so, of course. Um, so we actually started this project shortly after he retired i think we spoke uh the very beginning of 2016 and we kind of started working did he approach you there no we had the same agent at the time i approached him so Mm -hmm. when he retired i kind of got the idea um ken reed who i worked with at sportsnet for a long time oh yeah several books um also with this the same publisher ecw press so i actually owe ken reed massive hockey guy not exactly the hockey cards you know (laughs) Yeah, hockey card stories. Uh, he's got quite a, quite a few books. He did one with Eddie Shack. He did one with Dennis Maru. Um, mm-hmm. And so at his first at his first book launch, I showed up with a bunch of other guys who work. I think Sid Sixero and some behind the scenes guys. Thomas Dobby might have been with me at the time. And um, you know, we're giving our congratulations, cheers a beer, and he looks at me and he goes, "Hey Dunlop, when you write a book about the uh, F in Bundesliga or whatever, I'll be there." <laughs> I don't know if I'd write a book about the Bundesliga, but I can't believe that you got the name right. I'm like, maybe I should write a book. And then I, I think Dwayne maybe had, had just retired before that. Or there was something that sparked like, man, Dwayne's story would be epic. Here's a guy who was always very colorful, considerably more candid than most athletes whenever he spoke on television and whenever there was a, a mic in front of his uh, face. And I thought, you know, he's going to have some incredible stories to, to write in a book if he, if he wants to open up about that. And so it was a long process in, in being able to put it together. I'd never written a book before. It was a you know first project of this kind of magnitude for Dwayne as well. So also it was a busy time adjusting to retirement life. He was uh, working as an ambassador for MLSE. He has four children. He's a very, very active dad. He's a uh, Uber dad. He's always in the car. You know, two, two kids in high-level soccer academies. Um, his son, his son uh, is a goalkeeper at Toronto FC in the uh-huh. academy system right now. And so I say, was at New York City and was playing overseas. So it's, it, timing was kind of a, a difficult thing. 
but no, we would have wrapped this up before the pandemic. Um, then his father passed away. His father okay. passed away, which is a, a big part of the book. And his father was such a big part of his life. Coach Tony, um, massive in, in Scarborough. Like any, anyone who played soccer in a certain time period uh, that stretched you know, long after Dwayne was a pro. Uh, but anyone who played soccer in Scarborough knows Tony and, and had an experience with Tony. So that was a massive loss for, for Dwayne. And uh, I guess the blessing in the sense of the pandemic is that allowed us to you know, feature a conclusion um, uh, in the book and, and really, you know, tie things together. So I know that that was uh, difficult for Dwayne to open up about and, mm. and be so vulnerable about because it was still very, very raw, um, this being the start of the pandemic. Um, but yeah, to finally, you know, have it out. And uh, I can't go into a store where I live to go pick it up. But when I maybe <laughs> actually do that, it'll be, I think it'll, it'll truly sink in then. It's been, uh, it's been pretty surreal so far and the reception has been very good. So honestly, it means a lot from you guys who, who read so much and you know, watch mm -hmm. so much, know the game so well to say that it was an easy and enjoyable read. That's uh, that's the best compliment. Well, um, there's a great story about when Kurt Cobain heard uh, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time on the radio and he had to pull the car over <laughs> and like had a moment. So I, I yours is going to be amazing when you see, you know, the the, the display of your of your books <laughs> with your name on it. Um, you also segued into my second question. Well, my third question, if you don't count the one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was surprised just how brutally honest Eero was in the book. I mean, he pulls absolutely no punches. Did you encourage that, or was there a moment where you were like, you know, maybe we should we should scale this back because uh, you know people might we might find horse heads in our pillows or whatever the case may be. <laughs> I think, to be honest, I think that's a compliment. If they if it's you've actually gone that far, where you might you know ruffle some real feathers. We live in a day and age where. It, if, anybody's offended about everything right yep. <laughs> uh, so if you if you try to not offend anyone uh would anybody be interested would anybody read it um mm -hmm. what i loved about that was that Dwayne was just you know authentic he was he was brutally honest and so for me I, I did put a lot of responsibility i guess on the review process just to you know uh so much time had passed a lot of these chats that we did you know were, were three years before uh, mm finishing the manuscript and sending to the publisher so i think i i was a little more on that maybe than him at times it was like okay just want to make sure like you're cool with chapter eight <laughs> yeah you, you going for noodles and uh, mm -hmm. the conversation that fell apart before celtic yeah I, I was a little bit um inquisitive about that from my journalistic background i guess but yeah truly i mean you know he, i had the green light from him the whole way uh, in, in just being honest and and um really it's funny that kind of the reviews and things that he picked on it was i got an intersection wrong or i didn't give you know this i didn't give this block or this community uh uh you know a long enough line he wanted to add to that those were kind of the things in the review process that that really stood out to him was just um you know amplifying scarborough and and um and uh adding more color to some of those stories from his childhood and from from his hometown you allow him to contradict himself, which I think is really interesting, right? Like at the outset of his TFC career, he, it's a direct quote. He's like, I didn't need any of the extra perks. But then when the DP situation sort of starts happening, you know, he's like, well, I would have loved the condo to flip or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that humanizes him in, and it allows for the kind of vitriol that he, that he sprouts out later because he's being honest from all angles, right? We're all complicated people and our priorities change and, and you know, that, that's humans. So I just thought it was really interesting and, and, and you know, I, I inhaled those chapters. So I'm very much looking forward to when when this is over so I can I can fill in the blanks. And I'm, I am looking forward. I am looking forward to that coda because he does mention his father quite a bit in what I've read, but without context. So now that I know what what a what a what a major role that he plays in in the wider Toronto mosaic soccer mosaic, I think I'm going to pay extra careful attention to to those uh, passages. So. Yeah, that's one thing that, you know, it's kind of inspired me to want to do the book, too. Um, you guys all know that in covering soccer in this country, there's a, a protectionism and, um, you know, responsibility, I think, that we feel to grow the game that is quite mm -hmm. unique to other sports. You know, I've worked and covered other sports, and I don't think uh, a lot of other guys, you know, necessarily feel that. The sports are more mainstream. The relationship is just different between the fan, the media, the club. Um, you know, but but we, we definitely feel that, I think, in a different and a special way. So, yeah, to kind of help amplify Dwayne's story and get more out there, um, that was something that was, was really important to me and a, and a story that, you know, I was very curious about. I learned a lot about Dwayne in this in this process as well and, you know, learned a lot about kind of how things go behind the scenes uh, at the top level. Uh, you mentioned the, the condo flipping there and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, he was <laughs> when he that wasn't something that he knew existed. And yeah. Once he yeah. Saw it happening and it wasn't happening, you know, it didn't happen to him and he was being told 
this, that, or, or whatever, um, you know, then you, you start to think you're not being, uh, yep. you're not being given the honest hand. Right. So, um, so yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, how many condos did they give blaze Matweedy in Miami? <laughs> that's, that's what I'd like to know. <laughs> we'll find out at some point. You, you spoke about growing the game there, Brendan. And, um, we, we are seeing the sport reach, reach new heights in Canada right now with Alfonso Davies and Kadisha Buchanan and, all these players doing incredible things in the teams as well. But how important is it to look back at a story like this and to look at Dwayne's past and his experience with the sport in Canada and, and kind of learn from the lessons that he did um, in, in order to, to eventually get to that next level? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, you know, he really was a trailblazer in a lot of senses. And, um, you know, I used the comparison. I did a, uh, I did a, an all sports show recently and was asked, you know, what, what would the comparison be, you know, for hockey or, or another sport? And I thought, well, if you think about Connor McDavid now in this hmm. day and age, we all get to watch his games and you pay a little bit more and you get to see all 82 games in a normal season. That wasn't the case for Wayne Gretzky. That wasn't mm-hmm. the case for Steve Nash. And D-Row was playing at the exact same time as, as Steve Nash, two Canadians at the height of American sport in their respective mm. sports. And we saw the highlights and we saw the, the playoff runs and, and maybe the finals. And that was really it. So I think for a lot of people, whether they were fully immersed in soccer at that time, they didn't truly get to see and appreciate kind of all of that unless they were in one of those markets or followed one of those teams. Of course, if they're Canadian, that was highly unlikely, right? So I think in, in kind of telling that story, that was important to me um, because I knew that there was so much there. I knew, um, you know, that how much he meant to Major League Soccer. And a uh, few people have told me when they saw him named to um, MLS's greatest 25 list, they were, and they're, they're Toronto-based people, but who have followed the game and been involved in the game for, you know, at least a decade. They were surprised to see him on there. They didn't recognize the impact that he'd made, you know, hmm. before coming to Toronto or, um, other than that, that 2011 season and winning MVP, you know, playing for three squads, being the only player in any sport to ever do that, they kind yep. of thought that that you know that was the peak, that was the highlight. But you know, long before that, mid 2000s, winning those four titles with San Jose and two with San Jose and two with Houston, uh, he was he was the top of the game, one of the faces of yep. the leagues. Yeah, to amplify that and kind of let that story be uh, ha- have a spotlight on it when there's there's so much noise and so much shine about everything else out there in the world, I thought that that was truly important. I'm glad that uh, he's getting that now. And that was the thing there, Brendan, that when I was reading this, this was, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big D-Row fan. For me personally, when he came to Toronto FC, I was hooked. He, he's Guyanese like I am. Um, you know, he's, he's a local guy. And I, I kind of like really, I, was, I felt attached to his story. I was a, a kid who was trying to make it here in, in Canada and seeing a local guy play for Toronto FC that that meant something to me so i i knew a lot about d-row's story already but when reading this book it, it's like it's a walk down memory lane and then some it's it's yep. for, it's you know we think back we, we're living in a golden generation right now in terms of canadian prospects and in terms of canadians overseas and it wasn't that long ago where, where Dwayne de rosario was kind of as you mentioned there brendan breaking ground here in toronto and that, I think you encompass that really well there in your story. And for me, that's that's one of my the highlights so far early on. I haven't really quite got as far as I want to, but I just wanted to point that out because for anybody like that's, that's listening, it really it does serve as a subtle reminder as to how far we've come in such a Absolutely. short period of time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's truly, kind of bracing. Yeah, It truly <laughs> does. And even going through some of the photos of that when he first arrived and to see BMO Field as it was before the expansion, before the grandstands, you know, it it feels like it, that should be 20, 30 years ago. It feels like such a different, <laughs> different time. It's in such yeah. a, you know, a smaller, smaller park, whereas we know the, the stadium now to be, to truly feel like a fortress. They always sang about it being a, the fortress on the lakeshore, but it's, mm-hmm. it looks like one now. And yeah. it feels like one yeah. now. And the, yeah, the game has evolved. And, you know, a lot of that, I think he has kind of a, an impact and a measurable impact on a lot of the growth in, um, in Canadian soccer. And also, too, talking about styles and these players, there were very few players when he, you know, came in the national program that were allowed to play with such flair and creativity. And it certainly wasn't encouraged, which he gets into in, in, in the mm-hmm. book. Um, you know, it took a long time before there was a trust from his coaching staff, um, at, wherever he was, to just allow that freedom and that creativity to to bring a little Joga Benito out there on the pitch. <laughs> it hadn't existed in some of those sides before. It's true. So yep. I think that, you know, without without Dwayne De Rosario, I don't know if you get three, four guys in the Canadian national team squad who are, are able to play with, with that flair and uh, mm-hmm. inspired by that. So 
yeah, I, I truly enjoy as a as a Canadian fan. Obviously, um, it's kind of seeing seeing that impact and seeing several different players that seem to have taken a lot of inspiration from that and um, were able to do so at a very early age. They were probably doing that at, at academy level, you know, wherever they were. So. Yeah. Well, Brendan, congratulations again, and, and thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks very much. I'm upset that, that the pandemic has robbed us of the book launch where you would also wear mm. a gunmetal charcoal gray suit. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> you, are... <laughs> well, you guys are on the video. I am wearing a Scarborough Hustle uh, hoodie. Oh, there we go. Let's there we go. go. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to uh, Scarborough Hustle. Uh, Erin has uh, started the company in the pandemic uh, from her home, and she's, uh, yeah, she's you know, letting the community represent and uh, put some shine on the community so i'm happy to uh, wear it as well i lived in scarborough for for 10 years and i rode that subway from kennedy station all the way to kipling to go to <laughs> university. nice so, nice uh, i know all about that scarborough life so thank you that guys the east west line oh man cheers kennedy to kipling the whole the whole run so, <laughs> available now again guys appreciate it all major retailers and um and most canadian independent bookstores as well so if you want to support local uh, please take a look there yeah you should absolutely you pick go up a copy before you go quickly, Brendan, any plan? I know you guys were planning on doing a book tour before the the pandemic hit um, again. I guess let's call it. Um, <laughs> are there any plans in the works for you to kind of do something like that, maybe later this summer? I would hope so. To be honest, I mean, uh, Dwayne's actually in the states now, and he's he's doing a, a rather traditional tour uh, okay. through the states. So he's in nice. Miami tonight, and nice. he'll be in New York. Uh, there'll be a billboard up in Times Square when he's in New York. On, on hey, the- get out of here. Yeah, pretty cool. So I'm you know, That's hoping that cool. the situation improves in Ontario. Obviously, we're able to maybe do something at a perhaps a TFC game or do a, do a book signing. At, but, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. looking forward to just having his fans read the book and eventually getting able to uh, you know meet and talk to some people too. Yeah, hopefully that, fans yes. can see that, uh, that hair in person, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Cheers, Anytime, Brandon. buddy. Yeah, thanks so much, Surprised Dunlop thought I could read. <laughs> Give you way too much credit there, eh? I know, yeah, 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 yeah. but but yeah. he's going to do the audiobook with that microphone, so I think you're 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 sorted, my friend. Yeah, this this, this book's been a long time coming. Again, thank you, Brendan Dunlop, for joining us. Uh, we we've had Dero on in the past, and he's kind of teased this book a little bit for us, and it's finally here. And like we've said, like Jeff and I at least have both kind of dug into this book a little bit, and. I'm not even kidding. I couldn't even put it down. Like I'm not even, mm-hmm. I know I'm supposed to be a journalist, but I'm not even like a big book reader in general. And I'm telling you, man, that, that actually had me hooked and I'm not even just oh, yeah. trying to sell anything for, for Brendan. <laughs> no. like, if you're, if you're a TFC <laughs> fan, like that was some, some great content. So make sure you guys oh, yeah. go check that out, go pick up that book and uh, you won't regret it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I do wish that, that, did you guys all read uh, Molinero's uh, big read in sport on Sportsnet's website? It's got to be about five yeah. years old now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know the rights are probably terrible, but that that should really be uh, in a in a trade paperback because uh, it would be it would be terrific to have that on my shelf, my TFC Shrine shelf, you know, mm-hmm. next to next to Cloakie's book and 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 now Brendan's book, and you know, anyway, you can dream. That's all right. Yeah, I think Martin's asking is someone chewing in the background. I think Mitch, your your mic might be a little bit too close to your mouth there. Um, I feel like I feel like it was picking up a little bit of sound, but that's all right. So apologies to anyone who kind of picked that up. Um, but let's move on. Let's let's talk some more. Uh, let's talk some more TFC. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's get into the goalie debate a little bit. I know this is this is something that's that's come up a lot in the past week and. Um, Quentin Westberg has, for whatever reason, been second fiddle to Alex Bono throughout this year. And, I mean, look, Bono was really good at, in the Champions League. I think he he probably helped them. Um, he probably helped them certainly get past Club Leon for sure. And, and he's definitely made some big saves. But the big thing for me, and we talked about it earlier in the show, in terms of Toronto FC's passing ability and, and their, their ball retention, I mean... We all know distribution's not the strong suit in in Alex Bono's game. I mean, you can look at the pure numbers. I think it's sixty point five percent of his passes have been completed this season. So you know that's forty percent of the passes immediately to the other team. And doesn't matter what style you're playing, you, you need to keep the ball at some extent. Like bad giveaways are bad giveaways. Whether you're playing a high pressing game or you're playing a possession based game, and I know TFC want to take more risks, but. I mean, that's, that's not a risk is lumping the ball forward and losing it, right? So that's 
that's one of the big things for me right now. And we know Westberg's good. I mean, he had 78.2% last year. They were playing a different system, but we know even on the long balls, like he's just more accurate than Bono. So that, well, we've I mean, all seen all these uh, heat map tweet, right? That yeah. Was, yeah. That yeah. That too. <laughs> I don't even, yeah. you don't even need a heat map to see this. It's mm-hmm. so glaringly obvious. I don't even care what the analytics say. Like the amount <laughs> of times that Alex Bono gives the ball away is, is mind boggling to me. Um, I don't want, again, Alex Bono is not the problem with this Toronto FC team. Let me stress that again. If Alex Bono is in net, he is a goalie that can win you games for sure. But for me, like, when he does kick the ball up field, which is quite often, especially under Armis's style of play, they want to win the second ball back. They want to get on the counter press, all of that. He's not even giving TFC a chance to get to that second ball. He's mm-hmm. not even giving TFC a chance to, you know, get into a battle for that first ball. That ball is being hit so it's so misplaced that the New York Red Bulls, for example, their defense is just it's one header back to their other defender. It, they have time to to you know literally read the play when it's supposed to be a 50-50 ball and make an easy kind of header to the, to the, to their defender. So, like, yes, we can talk about Armas changing his style of play and why it's not important for your goalkeeper to be great with your feet. I mean, he has to be decent with his feet, right? And I think right now, I, I, I just don't see it with Alex Bono there, and I think it's actually a big problem why TFC aren't are kind of defending the entire match. Because, you know, you have to go back to your goalkeeper in soccer. Like, I don't care if you don't want to play that that style of system. At the end of the day, your goalkeeper is going to have to use their feet quite a bit. And right now, it's just it hasn't been working out for Alex Bono. I'm with Chris Armas there. I don't think he's really at fault for any of the goals that have gone in. But the goalkeeper position is not just about saving goals. We've written articles about this. Quinton Westberg himself has talked about this. Christian Jack has talked about this. The goalkeeper position is about so much more than just the having, uh, you know, stopping shots, which Alex Bono is really good at. But for me, I, I just think it, it's it, it's overdue that Quinton Westberg, you know, gets a shot in net for this team. He should have gotten a shot in one of those seven matches. And we're approaching match number eight. And I would, I've said this on our post game show. I'd be mm-hmm. shocked if I don't see it. I'd be shocked. Well, the conspiracy theory, the tinfoil hats are coming out, right? I mean, if we don't see him tomorrow, there better be some answers beyond, you know, he showed up to training late, how, however many weeks ago. Um, you know, full disclosure is always dangerous. Uh, we outlined this on the post-game show. I'll always defer to, to, to the team keeping something close to their chest if it affects uh, uh, game planning for the opponent or, or, or any for any reason, you know, because as fans, sometimes we don't deserve to know everything. But, you know, it's it's difficult to keep the pitchfork mob at bay, uh, especially if we don't see him tomorrow. So so I think I think if we you know, we need to see him tomorrow. Not only does he deserve to, the look, but um, it's getting difficult to understand why, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. two two more points on that on Alex Bono, like. I, I still don't really fault him for this because this is still a side of his game that he's figuring out. But that goal against Cruz Azul where he was chipped on, it's because he's cheating a little bit because balls have been beating TFC over their, their back line. So he wants mm-hmm. to be the, the one to come out and kind of sweep that up, which is mm-hmm. something he's talked about. He was caught a little bit off his line because he was probably anticipating the ball over the top. Maybe perhaps it runs away a little bit and he could be the first out there. So he got caught there. And secondly, this past week against New York Red Bulls, maybe he was, you know, had that chip in the back of his mind, but he was a little bit too far back on his line on that second goal when that ball was played through. And he, you know, he kind of got to the the play. He kind of made a play on it, but it wasn't it wasn't quick enough. It wasn't early enough. Quentin Westberg excels in that aspect of the game. He excels coming out of his box when he needs to. He excels when reading the game as to when he should be on his line, when should he sh- he should you know be out. He's more mobile than Alex Bono is. So like I said off the top, it's not just saving shots, which again Alex Bono has done a really good job at. It's it's a lot more than that. And 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 you know, yeah, that's all. Well, I'll say this to. looks like he's gonna explode. So he's well, uh, no no. I'm just saying, hold on a little bit. Like Westberg got chipped at least three or four times last season where he came out of net for like the exact same reason that. That like I can uh, I think it was Federico Iguain at MLS's back maybe who chipped him pretty it was a pretty ugly one I think he got chipped twice in a row in one of those games maybe against DC so I think this is a larger systemic issue with Toronto FC where those balls over the top can beat them and then it puts their goalkeeper in a 
like unwinnable position. So I don't know if I'd fully fault Bono for that. Although I do agree, Westberg is definitely the better sweeper keeper. I think it simply comes down to Toronto FC need to try something different. And this is a simple way you can try something different is putting yeah, in a new exactly. goalkeeper. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't I think- give us the opportunity to bash Bono at this point, right? Like, cause we're going to, you know, it, we have two number ones, but if we don't see the other one, you know, it's, it's human nature to start bashing mm-hmm. the guy. Well, right? like, so- sorry. I'm not, I, I don't mean to bash Bono. I'm not trying to bash Bono whatsoever. Like mm-hmm. those are clearly still aspects of the game that he needs to work on, but he is still a good shot stopper. Like I said, off the bat, like he is still oh, yeah. a good keeper in mm-hmm. major league soccer. It's just if you have two number one keepers, like you've been saying, why haven't we seen one of the number ones? Mm-hmm. That's the yep. difference for me. And clearly a number one over the past two seasons who has been better than the guy who's in net right now. It's just like like you guys have said, it's, it, there's an easy change there to make to sort of give your team a spark, which they desperately need. Mm-hmm. And I just I'm I'm a little puzzled why we haven't seen it as yet. So again, yep. I, I I don't want to bash Alex Bono. Alex Bono has been solid. I still think he does have a future here in a major league soccer. But I, I'm just puzzled why we haven't seen the other number one goalkeeper yet. Yep. Yep. All right. Let, let's talk about uh, a move that Toronto FC made today. Um, letting go of Griffin Dorsey. They put him on waivers. Twenty-two year old winger fullback. Only played five matches with Toronto FC. Uh, over three seasons, most of the bulk of his time with the organization was spent with Toronto FC2. Was, of course, taken sixth overall in the 2019 MLS Super Draft, which will cause some consternation considering who he was taken ahead of, particularly two Canadians, Dane St. Clair, Tejon Buchanan, obviously. Um, you know, hindsight 50 50 or 2020. 2020? Mm. Yeah. On yeah, hindsight 2020. Um, <laughs> it's 50 50. Yeah. It's an endless uh, circle. It's, it's, <laughs> another, it's another, uh, it's another botched quote. I mean, it's, it, that, that's part of the show at this point, too. Yep, yep, um, yep. I think I'm more interested in, you know, what Toronto FC still might be doing here. I don't know if this move necessarily predates that or if this is opening up a spot for Kamar Lawrence, who we already know is coming in. But we've heard a lot that Toronto FC are still looking to make at least one or two minor moves to kind of shore up the team. Um, we have the fullback. That was the main position you pointed to, Michael, as is, is what you thought Toronto FC need. What else does this club potentially need in order to, you know, get back to where we think they can get potential-wise? Yeah, I think it was John Molinaro who actually reported this week that TFC are looking to make one or two moves before uh, that June 1st, I believe, is the, the deadline for the transfer window. So we might see one or two more moves come in here, and obviously Griffin Dorsey making way. Um, I, I don't think that's much surprise to anybody who's who's seen TFC of late or you know the last two years because we haven't seen Griffin Dorsey. So why why you know put more more time into his development when there are other people um, who you could who you could you know use there and we talk about Kamar Lawrence who's more MLS ready for a team that wants to win now uh Griffin Dorsey is more of a fullback so obviously that just makes sense to sort of wave him um so we wish we do wish Griffin Dorsey the best of luck there um in my opinion in terms of the position that Toronto FC need to shore up right now two things and I think it was one of them became really evident on Saturday and that was more so a number 10 as well maybe a backup number 10 um I'm not saying someone who can come in and kind of take away minutes from like an Azorio or, or even like a, a Delgado, but someone who's capable of, of pulling strings there in the, the number 10 role if you need to. And the second one, of course, is a center back for me, at least. So uh, we can talk about why. I mean, we don't really need to talk about why. We know why this team really needs uh, another sort of center back, another option there just in case. So those are those are my two choices there. I don't know how you guys feel about that, Jeff. I have two takeaways. I like that Mitch was, he's been talking about Dom Dwyer this whole time and he called it a minor move, which is fantastic. Uh, And number two, I'm surprised he went for a 10 and not a nine because Io hasn't looked very good so far. Um, That could just be him coming off of injury or uh, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, you know, as much as I love my boy, Patrick Mullen and my love for him is real. I, I wonder if, you know, a nine hasn't re-entered the conversation. So, I mean, you have Josie Altador. Do we? <laughs> you have Iowa and Iowa Canola. Like, there's no reason to hit the alarm bells yet for Io. Like, yes, he hasn't looked good, but 
how can you expect Iowa to look good in a game like against the New York Red Bulls? Like, mm-hmm. he's not. No, the type I agree. Of, I, he's not the I type of player to create on his own at all. Like, he's not someone who's going to take somebody on one v one, beat him off the dribble, and sort of create a half chance for himself. That's just not the type. He's a guy who fiends off great service, and when you don't have that service then those guys are going to be very... And Josie's the same type of player as Io Akinola is. They're t- both great poachers in the box. They're guys who can hold up play when they need to, but they're not guys who are going to turn and run at defenders. And right now, I think that's sort of what this team is lacking. Teams, guys who can set up both Akinola and Altidore. So you have and two- score themselves, potentially. Okay, I get you. I feel you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have okay. two proven number nines there that are, you know, standard, you know, classic number nine poachers yep. um so i yeah and again you, you throw in patrick mullins as depth he's a serviceable depth guy um and then also jordan peruza so that's a position that they're kind of deep on also don't sleep on achara as well he's he's also a player who can come back and kind of play in that sort of mix so okay. yeah for me I, I i number nine just isn't an urgent need for me okay michael follow up uh we got one one roster spot do we go for a center back or do we go for a 10 I go for a center back, in my opinion. Okay. In my opinion, because I, I do believe in Pozuelo, I do believe in Osorio. When you have both of those guys out, it is kind of just tough. But if you had to choose one, I think you you go for a center back right now. Okay. I the the one position I'd argue that maybe they should look into, and I know obviously Gallardo's on the shelf, and uh, they just brought in Soteldo and Junior Hoylet. This, this Junior is always Hoylet. this is always the thing, but. A Tam winger because, well, it doesn't have to be a Tam winger. A, winger. Just a, wide, a wide midfielder in general because I'd argue. On the right side? Yeah, on the right side because I'd argue Mark Delgado has not looked good there and I don't think he can play that role. But I'd, what if the, what if they have one on their squad already? What if they have, what about Rishi Larea? They with could the see. The addition of Kamar Lawrence, right? I'd agree with that. Like, I think that's, I, I think that is a possibility. I think in their best 11, he does play there, but I do think you want at least one more person to cover there whether that's internally a young player or junior hoylet well you got you have you have jacob schaffelberg who's going to be looking for minutes now as well um you can also throw Jaden nelson into that mix you could also throw jaquil marshall into that mix and of course we talked about erickson gallardo and achara so for wait a me, second, Mike. You you want to put Schaff on his on the wrong side so that he's he's going to cross on his weaker foot? He, he, can't, he can't get worse at crossing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mind seeing Schaff cut in a little bit. And you know, sometimes when you're playing on that right right winger, you don't actually mm-hmm. have to play as a right winger. You kind of play through the middle, especially when you yeah. have someone like Richie Larea behind you and you can sort of cut in and, and free up that space for Richie. So there are ways yeah. to kind of get around just go running down the line and hitting across. Uh, which I'm all for it. If it means he doesn't have to run across the touchline and hit across, but actually combine with somebody, that may be a better that may be a better fit for Shaft. There yeah. Or, or, yeah. yeah, there's a lot. And like you, like you said, Mitch, I'm there with you. Delgado on the right side. We talked about this on our pregame show. Like, it, it, it's not working. Like, he looks way too uncomfortable at times in terms of trying to find the right pass. I think, you know, we could give him some time there to adjust. I just, to me, there's there's better options there to throw on that, the right side of the diamond um, if you wanted to play a diamond. So, yeah, I'm there with you in terms of we need, definitely need a different look there than Mark Delgado. I just I think we do have depth on the squad if we just need one more player to as a, instead of that number nine or that that right winger spot. I, I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's just, that's just the the most glaring position I think against the Red Bulls that that we saw Toronto FC get exploited was was that you know right right side of midfielder. I think that that turned out to be a major issue. And again, that's nothing against Mark Delgado. We know what he can do. It's just mm-hmm. he's any any player is not great at a position. And yep. I think even Oso can play out there. I think Oso is a much better look as a wide midfielder than than Mark Delgado is. So hopefully mm-hmm. again we'll we'll get some of those guys back. Actually let's finish up. Let's finish up with the the Michael Singh injury report. Is that what it's called? Okay. Yeah here it comes. It's the Michael Singh Injury Report. I should have told you, boys. I don't. I don't have an injury report right now because we're, <laughs> I'm about to. I'm about to go talk to the TFC 
uh, uh, media, actually. So it's not um, the Michael Singh injury report. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'll, I mean, the one thing I'll add is is the Jonathan Osorio tidbit we kind of mentioned on our show last week. Uh, Jonathan Osorio obviously was we we thought he'd be available for um, Saturday's match against New York Red Bulls after coming off a little bit early against Cruz Azul. Obviously, he had that ice pack on his thigh. Um, by all accounts on Thursday, it looked like he was ready to go. And then obviously he wasn't in the side. Chris Armis told us after the match, when I asked him about this was that Osorio picked up another knock in training on Friday. So the Mm -hmm. day before the match and it, again, same area, um, upper thigh, Tej, Dr. Tej was on our post game show and he kind of explained that sort of injury to us. And it's something that you it's, it's kind of unpredictable. It can kind of spark up whenever, flare up whenever. So, you know, you got to, I guess, inject him with a lot of anti-inflammatories, but there's not much there that you can do. Um, we don't know, Colin, I see you asking there in the chat, what exactly is Paz's injury? We don't know the exact, you know, diagnosis of Paz's injury. We know it's, an, it's a thigh injury. Um we know he suffered it against the Columbus crew on April one in a preseason match. But other than that, there's not much there that we can tell you. We've heard it's a tricky injury, a tricky situation. Um, so that that's all I can sort of reveal there on that note. Well, and so, also Tej, Tej added a wrinkle that I thought was really interesting, which is that, you know, pause may be saying to the medical team, I'm not feeling ready to play. You know, despite yeah. their protestations, like go out there and let's let's see what you can do. Nobody knows their body more than the person who's living in it. And we, we've been eliminating that variable. And I think it's important to reintroduce that. Right. He could be looking out for his own best interests over and above the, the recommendations of the of the TFC medical staff. Yeah. So, I mean, on the TSN broadcast, I said pause would be out seven to 14 days. Um, I personally haven't confirmed that. But usually when they say something, it's pretty much as good as gold. And we'll we'll get a further update actually right after this show. So keep it locked to me on Twitter um, at MichaelSing94, and I will definitely get some updates for you on Toronto FC's injury situation. I you can bet mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. The the best part of that was when they said that on the broadcast. Jeff thought they said uh, seven to uh, weeks. I thought they weeks, said weeks. Yeah. And he yeah. freaked out. He was losing <laughs> lost his mind, my mind for a couple seconds. Lost my mind. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Well, because but, uh, it was just yeah, so no. nonchalant. It was like, oh, yeah, you know that guy that, that like is the engine for the whole team? Well, uh, what's that? A, a unicorn over there? He's not coming back ever. Like, it was just, it was, it seemed very blase. And, and, and with weeks, it was like, wow, guys, that was. The, po- the positive takeaway, and I'll put in 10 there for pause, but positive takeaway mm-hmm. is that we have a, a timeline, right? Before, it was just, he's close. He's getting close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's close. He's almost there. But now, you know, seven to 14 days when that 14 day mark comes, if he's not there before the seven, you know, we'll be, we'll be looking for pause. So Uh I mean, it it does appear that there is light at the end of the tunnel, but there's a lot of matches coming up right now. We, we talked about a little bit about Columbus on, on Wednesday and there's New York city FC. Who's also undefeated so far this season on Saturday. So if you have, don't have pause for both of those matches and you know, you guys put in the same sort of performance that you did on Saturday, that's a big hole you got to dig yourselves out of. So mm-hmm. I don't expect TFC to kind of lay an egg like they did against New York Red Bulls once again. Well, it'd be great to have him back against NYCFC because we all know what he can do to that franchise <laughs> and what he's done to them in the past. So hopefully, uh, best case scenario, Puzzle is back for for that game and and you know Toronto FC put in a better performance tomorrow. But I'm trying yeah. to catch the Leicester City match here, boys. So <laughs> one, one more tidbit. One right, more tidbit. Kamar <laughs> Lawrence. <laughs> Kamar Lawrence is there and he is training with the club. Mm-hmm. So there actually is a possibility that he does get into the match tomorrow against Columbus. What kind of role he'll play, you know, that's obviously remains to be seen. But it looks like, you know, he's he's gone through this quarantine period that he needed to and, and we're all good to go. Yeah, cool. And definitely helps that, you know, that's a player that RMS is familiar with, knows his strengths, has coached him before. So uh, in terms of his transitioning into the Toronto FC side, I think that's a, that is a major factor. But that brings us to the end of our show. Always great to catch up with Brendan Dunlop. Uh, check out his oh my book, D-Row, My Life, uh, wherever books are sold. Jeff was very Ooh. excited about the chapters oh. he's read. Jeff? Oh, oh, I like that that you the punctuation on our show announcement actually reads like the book is 
derail my life with Brendan Dunlop. So it's like a buddy. It was like a buddy <laughs> book buddy about them yeah. taking road trips together. Yeah. Right? I really, I got a kick out of that. But, uh, you want to watch your team lose. So let's go. Let's get off. It. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, yeah, it's, it's not available wherever books are sold. Thanks to Kevin and Sophia for all their work behind the scenes, as usual, on the show. Thank you to Vine Wi-Fi for being better this week. We really appreciate that. Um, and a huge thank you, as always, to all of you for listening, interacting, watching. It makes this show that much better. On behalf of Michael Singh, Jeffrey P. Nasker, I'm Mitchell Tierney. Till next Tuesday. Ciao. Cheers, guys. Uh-huh.